Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome back to part two of this week's bumper-sized jam-packed edition of the Empire Podcast. So big, we've had to split it into two parts once again because they haven't gone anywhere in the three minutes between recording the first part and this part. <laughs> I'm joined by my colleagues of such lethal cunning, Helen Forham, according to Squadcast. Hello. <laughs> but your real name is Helen O'Hara, I know that much. Correct, yes. Why Helen for Ham? Um, so Ham for Ham was a thing that they did during Hamilton's run on Broadway. We're going to be discussing Hamilton a bit later, um, mm, uh, which may be relevant to other people's screen names as well. <laughs> um, and I just uh, was mm. short on inspiration and didn't want to do one of the usual lyrics. Mm, I don't so see Helen that. Uh, yeah, okay, that's interesting. I don't see that uh, anyone's screen name pertains particularly to Hamilton. Oh, really? We're also joined, of course, by Amon Warman, aka George Washington. That's interesting. Why have you gone for that name, Amon? Because we are outgunned, outmanned, <laughs> outnumbered, outplanned. <laughs> You're going to need a right-hand man. <laughs> and uh, last, but very much least, we're joined by James Dyer, a.k.a. Jefferson yes. Lives. I am 100% here for David Diggs in all things. Um, yeah, but what, why have you signed the call? Oh my God. It is my natural inclination, as you know. It is. It is. He is the Thanos just, of the universe. Yeah. Be- purple bellends. And that's just, that's a, he just. <laughs> we'll get board. into this later, but I think there is a strong case to be made that he is the best thing in Hamilton. So. Yeah. I, I don't even think there's a, any case to be made against that. So. Yeah. yeah. I I think there's 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 a, there is a case to be made against mm. that. He's very very good. Magnificent. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I could have. It'd been possibly more on brand for me to have been King George, but uh, I've gone with uh, I've gone with Jefferson. Okay, welcome all, welcome all. First up, we're going to talk about this week's movie news, uh, of which there's been a fair amount, I would say, uh, including uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, War on Chairs. <laughs> oh gosh, I can't believe this became as big as it did. It's really not that big of a like because I I. Um, the, the the variety actors on actors series I've been really enjoying it and that in particular that Anne Hathaway Hugh Jackman conversation is great and mm. I sort of you know was watching it and almost I thought nothing of that Anne Hathaway quote and then a day later I look at my Twitter and you know this all you know it's a war on Chris Nolan I was like this is chairs calm it's down not, it's not it's just <laughs> hilarious because like people have been posting up pictures of Chris Nolan behind the scenes you know, directing and stuff and like literally circling chairs in the background. Like, look, here is a person sitting on set. <laughs> so it's obviously a bit of an exaggeration. And it's just, well, you know, she just said a sort of pr- presumably blanket rule where he doesn't like people to be hanging around for no reason, which I'm sure is true of many directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just cute. But the, but you're right. I'm on those, those uh, actors on actress series have been really, really fascinating so far. Um, the Hugh Jackman and Hathaway one was really charming and they were both very kind of open and honest and, yeah. and really kind of, um, interesting on, you know, things like hosting the Oscars and so on, as well as working together. And then, um, and then the Anthony Mackie one as well has, yeah, was, I thought, Dicks. fascinating. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Was, yeah. was really fascinating too. So definitely worth a look. I thought about actually asking you guys to do this standing up because, mm-hmm. you know, like my fellow Chris, I just, I hate chairs. I hate them. <laughs> Can't do it. Can't do it. But uh, but they are really comfy. So here we are <laughs> sitting down in chairs. Uh, anything else? Any other bits of actual movie news and not just, you know, scuttlebutt and rumors and all sorts? Well, it's been at least five minutes since we talked about Marvel. So um, <laughs> how about the news that uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor will be back for... Um, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. 
the bill comes due always. <laughs> yeah, now I uh, am excited by this news. I, I, I'd, I had assumed it given where they left the character in the yeah. first Doctor Strange, mm -hmm. but it's still good to have confirmation because uh, the film is going to be more jam-packed than usual with Scarlet Witch, and I think they're going to have some a an element of Loki in there as well, so it's good to see that Chiwetel is there. And it's interesting what they've done with the character in the MCU because in the cartoons and in the comics, a lot of the time, Mordo is Dormammu's acolyte. And they did. They went a different way with Doctor Strange. They had Cassilius as um, as uh, Dormammu's acolyte. Uh, but mm -hmm. now, hopefully, in this movie, we're going to see Mordo uh, become more of the villain we see in the comics. And I'm interested to see that, but not least because Chiwetel Ejiofor is a fantastic actor, and mm -hmm. when he does go on villain form, he is amazing. Like Serenity, which is a film oh, I really, yeah. really the like. Operative. He is so good in that movie. And I'm really yeah. interested to see him operate in that kind of space again. Uh, so yeah, hyped. Yeah, I always assumed that he'd be back in, in the second film. It did sort of feel that way. Although I will say, and I have, have long been one of the great uh, defenders of Doctor Strange against people who who can't get on board with the fact that Strange is a bit of a bell end. Uh, I, for reasons I don't really understand, absolutely think he's fine. But <laughs> uh, I think my main thing was, I, I don't think I ever really bought... Mordo's turning. I get differences of opinion. I don't get that you turn from, you know, warrior for the light to evil over that. But I'm sure it will all be made clear. I don't know that he sees what he's doing as evil. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely believe he doesn't. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. It just, it's, it seemed quite a, um, yeah, it seemed quite, quite a vault fast, a reverse ferret, if you will. I completely bought it because he's been betrayed by his mentor, uh, mm in a big, big way. And and overtaken I, I, by this incredibly annoying dude as well. Yeah. <laughs> and If by annoying you mean awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, swings around fights. <laughs> I think Infinity War is the best version of Doctor Strange um, for so many reasons. I wish that fight with Thanos had gone on for longer. And the thing is, I know that they had other plans for that because if you, if you go and look at these special features for Infinity War, there is some, albeit unfinished, um, sort of... Uh, design work on that fight and it had Doctor Strange doing all kinds of crazy things. There's some concept art of Doctor Strange, um, that move that the ancient one does to send him on a trip to, um, mm. the, the, yeah, Doctor Strange is going to do that to Thanos. That concept art of that. I'm like, why did I want to see that? <laughs> so yeah, that's frustrating. But, um, but yeah, I, as I say, I, I completely buy it and I'm interested to see sort of how they develop that and lead on from that. Mm. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. I'm excited about Sam Raimi. As I've said in the podcast before, I'm excited about seeing him unleashed once again. It's been too damn long, and hopefully we can uh, get a cracking turn from, from Chiwetel this time around. Uh, anything else? So we had news uh, a few weeks ago that Karen Gillan was going to be in a Pirates movie. Uh, but now we have new news that Margot Robbie is also going to star in her own <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh, which is interesting. Like I, you know, I really like the first Pirates and I think two and three have their moments, but they milked that franchise with diminishing returns to the point of irrelevance. Um, mm. And that's a massive shame. It's also interesting because even after all this time, the first thing I think of when I, when I think of Pirates is Jack Sparrow. And it will be interesting to see if we can have another character who becomes 
that quickly sort of beloved uh, in a short amount of time. But uh, this is going to be written by Christina Hodson, um, who uh, wrote uh, Birds of Prey. And that movie is really, really good. I really enjoyed it. And I think what Christina did, she gave Margot Robbie the screenplay to match her performance because Mm. she was always good from Suicide Squad, but she didn't really have the script to really bring out those characters, that character's best sort of work. And when in Birds of Prey, she gets that. So I'll be interested to see if she can do it again with this IP. Yeah, I think Christina Hodgson's, um, basically, it's there are rumours at least that she's been essentially put in charge of the kind of DC EU um, shared universe now going really? forward. That she's, oh, wow. she's, yeah, she's apparently one of the movers behind the Michael Keaton Flash move. So, um, so that's interesting. And this might be, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is a, a distraction or she can do both, but wow, she's doing really well if so. Um, and it certainly speaks well of, um, you know, what's to come from her. I do think that Margot Robbie has the right kind of chaotic energy to do a really good pirate movie. I think she'd be different from Jack Sparrow, but I think she has that same sort of potential for weirdness and something slightly mm. off kilter and offbeat, which I think could be really good. Um, so I'm kind of open to this. Um, I agree that the Pirates franchise has currently been milked to death, but mm. if we're going to insist on building every film around a pre-existing brand name, it, it at least is a, you know, a, a, an open enough brand name to really do something new and do something different with. So I've got to hope that they can they can figure something out here that doesn't feel like rehashed, you know, mm. Johnny Depp. Don't you just feel tired even contemplating the idea of another one of these? Just I just it makes me weary. Like the first one is is loads of fun, mm. and the others are all films, and I just the and they're, they're just so exhausting. Just so they are, but like the the basic idea of pirates is not a bad one. People like pirates; they're fun, especially on an adventure with scientists. Exactly. Now that's a film we need a sequel to. But, um, <laughs> but also, like there there is potentially fun there, and there were loads of female pirates back in the day, Anne Bonny and so on. There were loads of them, and it's really interesting. It's an area of history that hasn't actually been much explored outside of black sails. Um, and so I think if you kind of do something daring and different with it, you could be onto something really cool. Um, you just have to, you know, dare to try, I guess. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful that one of these pirates' ideas will will be that movie. Will be cool and different and weird. Which pirates movie are you more excited for, Karen Gillan's or Margot Robbie's? So they're definitely two rival films. That's like well, they're they're definitely talking about yeah. There do seem to be two. Pirates movies in development right now. Right. Okay. Both with Jerry Bruckheimer. Whether they'll both go ahead is unclear. But I mean, I mean I'd be I'd be also be up for seeing the two of them together. I think they'd be fun together. Yeah. Um but I think I don't know. I, I feel like Margot Robbie on kind of slightly Harley Quinn form might be immense fun as a pirate, so that's well, hard to beat for me. Then again, Karen Gillan is also immense I fun. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Make them both and make them one super long film, five hours long. Um, I wouldn't watch that film if I'm honest. With you. Five hours long, five hour long Pirates of the Caribbean movie. No, no, thank no, you. Thank I you. I think I'm busy that day. <laughs> um, but yeah, maybe this is a chance to restore the franchise to its former glory mm. uh, because the first one's great. Anything else? 
Uh, so Carl Drogo is voicing Frosty the Snowman yeah, for reasons understand. I don't fully understand. Uh, Jason Moore has agreed to take on the voice of Frosty the Snowman, the character from the, the Jack Rollins and Stephen Nelson song. Um, David Berenbaum <laughs> is writing this, uh, who did Elf. And why is this a thing? I don't understand how this is happening. I don't understand how his agent allowed this to happen. And yet <laughs> it is happening. But maybe it is Elf quality, you know, comedy. Uh, I mean, so maybe, maybe. it's great. I mean, you've got to imagine the script must have been crackling to, to get him to do it. But yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Stop Frosty the Snowman. holing Jason Momoa. He's an actor, okay? You <laughs> <laughs> can try there he is, things. typecast yet again. I don't know. On the, on, the list of, on the list of actors, I can imagine saying, I'm an actor. Like, Jason Momoa is not high on that list. <laughs> oh, come on. And, uh, listen, he's now called Jason Snowmower. Am I right? Hello? Oh, boy. Hello? Have we talked mm, about the Chris mm. Nolan Chairs thing? Oh, God. Is it warm in here? It seems really warm in here for some reason. I don't know what the hell's going on. Oh, warm Lord. Warm in here? Yeah, he is. Warm in his hair. And he's in a chair. You motherfucker! Oh, <laughs> What's going on? Um, anything else to talk about in terms of the old movie news? I mean, Michael Winterbottom is doing a COVID film, which oh, strikes yeah. me as... For TV, right? I mean, yeah, for TV, but like... I mean, the definition of too soon surely is in the middle of it. Um, but yeah, so he's going to be tackling a kind of a series that's going to involve Boris Johnson and his quote-unquote handling of the current coronavirus crisis. So that should be fun in a kind of tragic way. Yay. 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 Oh, God, no, please. No. There's also the uh, the interesting news that Mahershala Ali is going to play the boxer Jack Johnson, not to be confused with the songster, um, for a new miniseries. It's interesting because uh, Jack Johnson's story is, is really fascinating because he beat a white boxer called, I think, Jim Jeffries. And this was like a big deal in the day, again, because they were super racist. Um, and <laughs> they genuinely thought they actually sen- tried to censor the film of the fight because they were worried that if people saw a black man beating a white man in a fight, that it would cause race riots. <laughs> um, so uh, the, I believe the NAACP's response was something along the lines of, one film has caused race riots in this country and it was Birth of a Nation. So. Mm-hmm. Go fuck Tell us more about that film, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so that that could be really interesting, and it, obviously, it's just good to see him getting big roles because he's amazing. Yes, he indeed, really absolutely. Is. Helen, I thought you would have been up in arms this week, uh, not about Chris Nolan's war mm. on chairs, um, and mm-hmm. he's tough on chairs, tough on the causes of chairs. But uh, about this Princess Bride thing that's happening on Quibi. I kind of love it. Yeah, I've, the, 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 the clips I've seen have all been hilarious. So basically, they've, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jason Reitman organised it. Obviously, he's allowed um, to to get involved in this kind of thing. But he uh, he put together a bunch of celebrities to film individual scenes on their own. Some of whom are more. Uh, faithful to the original than others but he he got rob reiner on board so that's why it's it's okay for him to do it um who plays the grandpa in one scene with josh gad as the fred savage grandson um they have an incredible cast of people they have tiffany haddish and uh, sam rockwell chris pine hugh jackman common jennifer garner neil patrick harris david oyelowo uh a jonas the one who's with sansa stark a jonas Joe is Joe 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 Jonas. Joe, uh, Joe, Joe Jonas. Jonas. Yes, and Sophie Turner. Um and and they just change actors from scene to scene, but it it's done with love of and respect for the Princess Bride. Therefore, I am not up in arms. Should we do one for Event Horizon? It's wonderful. 
but what, how would that be comforting and make people feel good? Because it would be me nude, covered in blood, um, and and upside down crucifixes, yelling, "Do you see?" I mean, uh, again, if, if that's I, not I what the nation the needs right now. Question. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what the nation? I mean, there were a lot of videos this week. We we got a new trailer for Soul, um, almost entirely involved with the real world stuff and not the kind of Soul Plane mm. stuff. Um, not to be confused with Soul Plane. Um, <laughs> we got the first look at Jennifer Hudson as Aretha Franklin. Yes. In a trailer, I find a little bit first base as a trailer, but maybe that's the job of a trailer, to be honest. So, um, and and I and I genuinely. This is a real question where I have problems with the person doing the singing. Jennifer Hudson singing is obviously incredible, but there's only one Aretha and I know exactly what she sounds like when she sings mm -hmm. that song and I find it really distracting that it wasn't her doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's gonna, I'm going to have to get over that by the time I see the film itself. Um, but yeah, it's been a good week for trailers. Did you watch Josh Gad's Reunited Apart thing that he did with uh, the Ferris Bueller cast? I that was a lot, lot of fun. I haven't watched it yet. It's on my list, yeah. Yeah, it's lovely. Like Alan Ruck and obviously Matthew Broderick, Mia Sara, Jennifer Grey. Uh, even Jake Gyllenhaal turns up to ask questions stuff. It's loads <laughs> and loads of fun. Oh. I do I do recommend that. Yeah. I did I did enjoy the Respect trailer, um, only because I, you know, and I tweeted this. If they get the music right in that film, I expect to be bopping my head through mm. a lot of it. Um, and I'm looking forward to it, if only for that. We also got the trailer for... Uh, the Tax Collector, which is David Ayer's uh, film with uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, to star. And uh, yeah, it feels like a return to gritty David Ayer. Um, mm. And obviously Shia has worked with him before on Fury. And he's coming off a couple of really good films between uh, Honey Boy and The Peanut Butter Falcon, both of which I like, both of which he's very good in. Uh, so I'd be, I'm very interested to see what he brings to this role in this film. Yeah. Indeed. But... Talking of The Princess Bride and Rob Reiner uh, leads us to the very, very sad news this week that Carl Reiner, the legendary mm. Carl Reiner, uh, who directed that incredible run of four Steve Martin comedies in the 1980s, uh, so The Jerk, The Mama Two Brains, All of Me, and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, mm. that is as strong a run from a director star in terms of uh, in terms of comedy as as anything I, yeah. I would say in movie history, and he passed away this week at the age of ninety eight. Uh, I think, as far as I can tell, it was it, it was from natural causes, but it was, mm. I think it was fairly sudden, given it two days earlier his great mucker, his best friend Mel Brooks, he'd been pictured with Mel Brooks, and um, everything seemed fine and well. And he seems like one of those people who was just going to hit 100 and just keep on going. And he was he was very politically motivated. He was very anti-Trump, certainly back to the beginning of the podcast. And uh, and he was very, very keen to stay around to cast his vote against Trump in November. Uh, so his passing was, was really, really sad. I mean, you know, he'd been working with Mel Brooks for, God, over half a century. Yeah, well Mel Brooks yeah. is a straight man, the 2,000-year-old man uh, skits that they used to do back in the day. Uh, he created the Dick Van Dyke show. He was an actor as well. He was very, very good. He was Saul in the uh, Oceans movies. Mm. Um, and he just seemed like one of the nicest guys. I never had the pleasure, but Nick uh, had the pleasure of, of interviewing him for his book, Wild and Crazy Guys, and said he was just absolutely wonderful, pin sharp, really, really funny, really warm, really witty. And just uh, one of those guys when when they when he passed, Twitter, you know, Twitter became a, a really lovely place. 
Yeah. Well, a sad place, obviously, but a really lovely place for about 12 hours with people just finding, you know, sketches that he was in or scenes from films he directed or tweets that he had, had uh, Twittered because he was really prolific on Twitter. Mm. And he just seemed like a really, really lovely guy. There was there were just so many lovely stories um, coming out about him. It, it's, it is wonderful when, you know, when someone inspires such a universal reaction of just love and respect and mm. and affection um and and yeah I, I highly recommend sort of searching the hashtag and searching his name because there were there were so many great stories there was one person who um grew up on his comedy sketches or her, sorry her dad had grown up on his comedy sketches and been obsessed with him and remembered this very early sketch with Charlton Heston playing a guy who's told to go to a restaurant and order a particular dish. And, <laughs> beef and, Stroganoff. And, beef Stroganoff. And, and this guy and, and uh, his brother, so the, the, the poster's uncle, had argued for years over what it was that, the, that he said in the sketch. Was he told to order the beef Stroganoff or was it something else? He finally asked Carl Reiner about it at a book signing and rather optimistically gave him a letter, you know, with his details on it. And and Carl Reiner called him back at dinner with Mel Brooks and all the rest of the people involved. And they just had a big long chat about it and and said, Well, the the, the version you remember is the funnier version, so that's the one I hope we did. Um so it's just like that kind of, you know, personal interaction with fans and and lifelong commitment to being funny and making the world, I think, a better place um, has left us, you know, everybody kind of, I know we had a good run, but everybody's still very sad about it, basically. Yeah. Now, I am not as sort of well acquainted with uh, his earlier work as I would like to be, and I will definitely make a point of educating myself on that. But I really enjoyed his work on the Ocean's movies. Uh, he's really, really funny in those movies, but he's also probably the only one of that crew who can sort of silence a Brad Pitt or and a George Clooney with a look. He does it a couple of times and it's really, I get the sense that it's a, it was a similar sort of thing in real life as well. Um, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, um, very, very sad. And, but I have enjoyed uh, everyone on Twitter sort of come up with their stories, especially that, that beef struggling mm -hmm. off one that you alluded to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Really, really fun. Um, so that was yeah. glorious. It really was. <laughs> Absolutely glorious. Uh, the great Carl Reiner, who passed away this week, aged 98. And time now for our last interview this week on this bumper size podcast special. And um, I'm pretty, pretty happy to have this guy on the podcast because he's a ruddy, bloody legend. It is the wonderful Werner Herzog, one of the greatest movie directors of all time, possessor of one of the greatest voices of all time, and occasional actor in The Mandalorian and Jack Reacher. He's a director, of course, of, of classics like Fitzcarraldo and Aguirre, Wrath of God, uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, if you want to go in that direction as well. Uh, he's back this week. He's incredibly prolific with his latest film, Family Romance, LLC. And uh, he popped onto Squadcast with us uh, this week uh, to have a natter about that and a great many things besides. And he was about as Werner Herzogian as you could hope for. And when I say <laughs> us... I mean, Dan Jolin, principally. I was there to produce the interview, uh, and uh, but not to conduct the interview, although I chipped in from time to time. But this is mainly Dan Jolin talking to Werner Herzog. That's a meeting of minds. Enjoy. Well, Werner, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, first of all, uh, important question, uh, possibly the most important question of all. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, that's unimportant. <laughs> <laughs> You can see a, 
I'm alive and kicking. Amazing, amazing. Um, are, are you doing? Are you doing much kicking? No, there's uh, there's no reason to uh, to do all the ritualistic questionnaire about how I'm doing or how you are doing. I see you. Uh, you look quite alive and you look well. Thank you. I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, but uh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm, obviously, we're all having our lockdown experiences. But I, I wondered for you, um, making it a positive. I mean, have you have you made any great sort of discoveries during this time? You know, have you been uh, uncovered any gems or or, or anything interesting? Uh, yes. Uh, how can I say one thing that is outside our regular experience with reality is that when uh, we live our lives we have uh, numbers um, in a linear way one two three so when you're in the street you have one person coming at you two three four but with the pandemic it um, it's almost geometrical meaning that if 16 people are coming at you the next amount of people is not number 17 but number 32 and the next number would be not 33, but 64, and then not 65, but 128. So meaning with a few steps more, you're at a million. And and we do not have it in us to experience this kind of, uh, of numbers. And we have to understand it and react accordingly. So that's that's a discovery. Amazing. And how, and how should we react accordingly to, to such a thing? disciplined dis disciplined you have to you have to starve the sucker out <laughs> the the virus uh, tries to spread and we can starve it in the most uh, aggressive form of starving it is seemingly the most passive one duck in the trenches and uh, wear masks outside and uh, limit your social contacts I imagine it must be hard for you because no, uh, I actually, no. oh, well, I, I always, I mean, I always thought of you as, 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 as an explorer, you know, as a kind of a filmmaker who likes to explore. You go to the, you go to volcanoes and Antarctica and Peru and Japan. And uh, that's, that's, that's kind of what you do. Sure. Yes. I, I miss moving around, but uh, so what? Everybody has uh, restrictions and so do I. Um, and and for example, I had to cancel two uh, theatrical premieres of two films, two previous films, which were supposed to be in April, and I had to cancel a workshop with young filmmakers right. from twenty eight different countries in Colombia, in the, the jungle of Colombia. Wow! So that has to had to be can or postponed until it's possible again. And since I cannot go out filming and riding, okay. But do you, do you have a favorite place in the world that you visited? I mean, Peru seems to to keep calling you back, doesn't it? Sure, yeah, part of my soul belongs there. Wow. Um, but <laughs> how can I say? Yes, it's okay. I uh, I do not mind that, like everybody else, I do have to accept restrictions. In lockdown, Ferner, you say you're writing at the moment. Uh, can you say what you're working on? And has lockdown affected your approach to writing? No, uh, it hasn't uh, changed my approach to writing. But um, now I have time to 
write down things that have been dormant for a very, very long time in me. And I um, have been really pushed very, very hard to to do more writing. Uh, my publishing house in Germany, for example, is furiously after me to push me into more writing because uh, they are of the opinion and I share it that my writings uh, will survive, will have a longer life than my films. There's no doubt in my mind. However, I've been wrong many times, so I may be wrong. But uh, books like Conquest of the Useless will outlive my films, I'm certain. And uh, uh, a, a book like When I Walked uh, from Munich to Paris, it is called Off Walking in Ice. It's strange that many decades later, it, it's uh, becoming bestseller now in Argentina, in Chile, in uh, some odd countries. And all of a sudden, uh, it's um, going to be really big and eclipsing my films. Why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, that your films might fade away? They will not fade. No, they will not fade away. But uh, in mm. the long run, um, probably my writings will have a longer life. Films normally have a short life, but I'm speaking more of the phase of uh, movies when it was celluloid and the celluloid prints of the 1920s have disappeared. And we have a few photos of the films and maybe uh, a review in a newspaper, uh, Berlin 1921. So uh, that's what we have. And uh, so it, it was in the nature of movies that they would crumble and they would fall apart and decay. Today with um, digital storage, uh, they probably will survive longer technically. So, so coming coming back to you know your 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 exploring and and visiting the world. Obviously, you went to Japan to make your your latest film, Family Romance LLC. Um, what was it like there? I mean, I, as I understand, you were shooting without permits on the streets of Tokyo. Is that is that correct? You were you went guerrilla. I had to because it was so fast. Uh, uh, the moment I learned about this phenomenon of renting friends or renting missing family members. Um, I knew it was so big, it had to be done right away. And it was brought to me by a young man named Rock Morin, a filmmaker himself, um, who had been an attendant of my rogue film school a few years prior. And I said, this was so big, he had to make a film instantly. But he was hesitant and apparently didn't feel ready. And I said, should I do it then? And he became producer. So, And uh, I decided I had to do it right away. And within three months, I was already shooting. But you have to be aware that um, uh, authorities in Tokyo are difficult to handle and very bureaucratic. And uh, Japanese filmmakers complained to me that they never get permit of shooting in the streets of Tokyo. Mm. So, and I showed up so, so tiny with a camera, so unobtrusive, so uh, minimalistic, uh, that even in a crowd, nobody even noticed that a film was being shot, a feature film with actors. So uh, it's, it's okay to step beyond the strictures of permits or so once in a while as long as you do not damage anything and as long as you do not uh, 
hold up traffic and things like that. I was like somebody, like a tourist who was taking photos with a cell phone, basically. I was not a nuisance. And I was, and by the way, I tried to be a good guest in the country. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear it. But it's, it's, it's such a curious story because, of course, Family Romance LLC is a real company and its founder, Yuichi Ishii, um, is in the film as himself. So why did you want to do that? Is it about playing with the idea like he is an actor who pretends, you know, to, to be family members or friends? So it made sense to you to get the guy who's the actor to act as himself, to almost be an imposter as himself? <laughs> no, it, uh, that was not the plan. I immediately got in touch with uh, Yuichi Ishii for two reasons. Number one, please uh, tell me uh, in one afternoon a few of your stories of everyday uh, business life. Secondly, help me with casting the film from your pool of actors and imposters and um, uh, people who perform as, let's say, your friend whom you can, can hire. And he said, yes, fine. And during the casting sessions, I discovered that uh, helping me from behind the camera and engaging the potential actors uh, with lines and conversation, he was so phenomenally good that mm -hmm. I said, I have to change all my plans. Could you be my leading actor? And he said, well, well, I do not know. And uh, yeah, if I'm really an actor, and I said, uh, um, Thanks God, there is a, a profession out there in filmmaking directors. I'm a director and my task is to make you convincing, to make you good. <laughs> and same thing with a girl. I mean, she really was only 12 years old yeah. when we were filming and she's, she's world class. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was, she was superb. Um, I mean, I, I recall you once saying that all your doc documentaries are feature films in disguise. So is this a feature film that's a documentary in disguise? No, it's just a feature film. Right. But the funny thing is uh, that even professional reviewers hint that this must be a documentary, but in two minutes flat, you will know it's a feature film. It's scripted, it is rehearsed, it is acted, it is directed, it's stylized. So, But um, it has an authentic quality to it which is um, overwhelming uh, everything. And um, it's for me, if somebody believes it's a documentary, it's a badge of honor hmm. because I don't even speak Japanese and it sounds and looks so authentic uh, that um, some feel enticed to consider it a, a documentary. Um, obviously, one of one of the relationships with, with, with actors that you're, you're most known for is, is with Klaus Kinski, um, uh, you did five films with him, and I, I, it just from from what I've read, none of them were particularly easy. But do, do, if he if he were alive today, would you still would, would you want to make another movie with him? Would you like to do that? No, certainly not, because uh, uh, when we had done the fifth film with each other, I said to him, Klaus, uh, I do not want to continue with you because I have discovered. Uh, nuances of you and uh, things that are in you that nobody else has discovered yet. So in five films, I have created five different 
um, uh, very, very big characters. And uh, there's nothing else to discover. So I, I do not expect that we will uh, return working with each other. There's no new terrain to discover. And he wanted, he was also moving away from me because he wanted to do his own, direct his own film, uh, Paganini. Hmm. And for, for 10, 15 years, he tried to persuade me to direct Paganini. And he had a 600 page uh, screenplay. And uh, it was so abysmally bad. It's, it's just beyond description. It was, there, there was no just fiddling and fornication and fornication <laughs> and fiddling. And, and it went on for 600, 600 pages. And I said to him, and he was really dismayed about it. He, I said to him, this screenplay is beyond repair. Only you can sort it out somehow. You have to be the writer, the director, and your leading actor, which he actually did. Mm. Wow. But it's worth it's worthwhile to to watch the film. But take a good shot of brandy before because <laughs> it takes you probably a decade to find the film is abysmally bad as that one okay <laughs> I, I i have to ask this because there are so many stories out there is it true you you did threaten to shoot him uh if he if he le uh, left if he walked off the set of aguirre the wrath of god i am not i'm not going into this kind of prehistoric mythologies <laughs> uh you can take take the pain and read uh what i've uh stated in a book, for example, um, uh, a guide for the perplexed. Yes, yes but bot bottom line is yes, but I was unarmed. Uh, we had moments where we would threaten each other and where confrontations were really accumulating to a point where it became kind of quasi dangerous. Hmm. But hmm. that's okay. That's uh, uh, that's prehistory. You, you are speaking of 45 years ago. You've acted all the way through your career, but uh, recently you've acted over the last few years. You've acted in The Mandalorian, uh, Jack Reacher, Hollywood, Hollywood movies like that. Um, is, is part of that a desire to see how those, are, those, those films and TV shows are made? Uh, is it a desire to work with other directors? Where does that stem from for you? No, I like everything that has to do with cinema, writing, directing, producing, editing, you name it, acting. Um, but uh, it, it was not a desire or a choice. I was urgently invited by Tom Cruise and the director of the movie of Jack Reacher uh, to join in the cast. And I looked at the screenplay and I had the feeling, yes, uh, it sounded like an intelligent plot. And it sounded like a part that I could, uh, that I could easily, uh, do. And I knew I would be good as, as a villain. So I'm in the demonology, uh, of, <laughs> of characters. I fit in very well as a villain in, uh, uh in movies as a character in the, a little bit like that Mandalorian. I'd never even knew what the Mandalorian was. <laughs> but I was invited very urgently by John Favreau. And he invited me when I was hesitant to show me uh, the round horizon set they had built and uh, 
costumes and all sorts of things. And it looked quite convincing. And I had the feeling a new uh, path was opening for filmmaking, meaning the times of green screen can be uh, declared as being over. Here with this new technology, you see your environment. You see the planet on, on which you are moving. And the camera sees it as well. So it's cinema back where it should be, where it always has been. Absolutely. And uh, I, I spoke to John uh, recently about that, and he was yeah. so excited about that technology. And this is before I had seen yes. The Mandalorian. And then you see it, and it's it's seamless. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, so does that excite you as a filmmaker? Is that something that you might – is that a technique you might wish to explore yourself? I don't have a project where I would, not, where I would need it, but if – uh, something comes across, uh, why not? Yes, of course. Uh, I'm not, for example, nostalgic about celluloid. Um, I love celluloid and I grew up with celluloid, but uh, uh, since shooting with um, digital cameras has become so inexpensive and so so easy, you can feature, film a credible, high-caliber feature film with your cell phone. And we've had... Mm examples of it like tangerine it's not my kind of movie but a, a real movie maker made it with the intelligence of a director and a narrator and um, family romance couldn't have been done with a big celluloid camera and and a crew and light and all this i was filming uh, for example at the platform of uh, bullet train and this is high security area and uh, surveillance cameras everywhere and i knew i could shoot only once i rehearsed the scene in a crowd of tens of thousands of people milling around uh, uh two floors higher up and then we went down and i knew the train would stop exactly 60 seconds so the scene had to be done in 60 seconds and um with a few seconds before, a few seconds after. And um, I knew I had only one chance. And rightly so, when I was filming with my free eye, I could see that security men were rushing in, four of them. <laughs> but they didn't know what to do because we were not disturbing anyone. We were not holding up traffic and we didn't have any bombs or whatever. And they were frantically calling for backup. So we filmed 70 seconds. Uh, I put the little camera down and we walked away in seven different directions and nobody, nobody got, got arrested. So, uh, without, uh, with, with a big camera, a movie camera, old fashioned celluloid, uh, there wouldn't have been a chance. Did, 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 did you like how the Mandalorian turned out? Did you like how it looked in the end? I saw the first, uh, three, uh, the first three episodes in the theater mm. with audience. I didn't see it on streaming. Uh, yes, it, uh, uh, it, you have to take it seriously because we are in a, in a time of, of great, uh, monumental changes. And in such times, new mythologies are springing up. And, uh, it's only a signal of, of, of uh, massive, of massive, uh, astonishing changes. I mean, for example, the arrival of the internet. Uh, that's a, that's a very significant um, uh, thing. It's as significant as, let's say, 
the beginning of book printing. You're happy for your for your films to be consumed through streaming rather than in a in a in a cinema theater. Well, everything has moved to streaming well before the pandemic. Mm. Um, not that I can say I'm happy, but uh, advantages that you can see at least fifty, maybe sixty of my films uh, via the internet, or you can have access to sources where you can buy a Blu-ray or where you can download a film, not necessarily the big streaming platforms, but uh, um, that's a great advantage. And all of a sudden, my films are being discovered by very young people who are on the internet and who definitely do not want to go to theaters, no matter whether there's a pandemic or not. They just stop going to movie theaters. So... um, I, I see what is coming at us and I see how the situation evolves and that's, it's okay. I have to live with it and make the best out of it. Well, on that note, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us, Werner Herzog. Okay. All thank the best you, to you. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was Ferner Herzog. Ferner bloody Herzog on the Empire podcast. He may have been on the podcast before. I honestly can't remember. I don't keep a spreadsheet. I really should. Uh, so whenever I start saying things like, this is your first time in the Empire podcast, and, and someone writes in going, no, they were actually on in 2014 and 2016. You did both interviews. <laughs> you were wearing your blue jumper. Yes. Oh, yes, now I remember. Now I remember. But, you know, things like that makes it all the, you know, when, you know, when you meet a celebrity and then maybe you meet them five years later and and they don't remember you. Mm. And you're a little bit crushed inside, aren't you? You're a little bit like, oh, I thought they'd remember you. I thought I'd be the one to stand out. (laughs) I've trained myself to never expect them to remember me. And I think I probably therefore confuse some of them who faintly maybe do by sort of going Mm -hmm. nice to meet you instead of good to see (laughs) you again. Does it not throw you? I'm always really tripped up when someone clearly knows who I am. And I'm just like, how on earth do you remember an interview? It's not possible. Unless you look no. like someone they know, I think sometimes. Love you, the transporter. <laughs> yeah. All you guys are just uh, good at your jobs, and you're being very modest. No. No, it's, it's not. not. <laughs> like my my favourite example of this was uh, at the Empire Awards. Obviously, I'd interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger a bunch of times <laughs> at that point, and I was speaking to him, and uh, and I was chatting to him, and I was like, I'm not sure he knows who I am. And then his uh, <laughs> his assistant slips him a piece of paper, and he looks down it, and they looks up, and he goes, James, and comes and throws his arms around me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, I just was just a n other bald white man until that point that someone oh no it's it's that guy is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. So this is the thing because they meet hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of people and so yeah, we slip from their minds unless we're particularly memorable and you know anyone and who's met me knows that that's way, absolutely so. not the yeah. case. Yes, either either I'm memorable in a bad way or I'm just completely nondescript. It's like um, it's like he who should not be named says in American Beauty. It's okay. I wouldn't remember me either. Um, but uh, you know, um, what was I talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah, so this is the thing. So sometimes, but I found I was beginning to. I'm beginning to forget that I've met famous people. I don't know whether it's just the sheer preponderance no, of famous people I've met over well. the years. Like you know, because we must have done between us now, we must have done thousands of interviews, right? Mm. So yeah. there's sometimes there are people I have no recollection of talking to, and then I will I will be going through my old interview files and I'll find like, yeah. oh, no, no way I spoke to that person. I click on the file and it's me. I remember I was going yeah. through. I had a big box of tapes for my first few days, first few a couple of years at Empire. And I was going through this big box of tapes, and on this tape was written Will Smith, and I was like, Will Smith. What I have a Will Smith interview for in my 
box of tapes. I don't, I've interviewed Will Smith, but I, this isn't for that. Uh, it was Will Smith, Men in Black 2. And I, wow. I said, who's this? And I popped in the tape and it was me talking to Will Smith <laughs> in 2002. And I don't remember that happening. <laughs> I think especially if it, if it was a phoner or if it was like at one of those, mm. you know, short videos spots we used to do, like, I, I don't necessarily remember. And I, but obviously they wouldn't remember it. But I yeah. I don't even always know who I've spoken to in those circumstances. Unless you set them on fire. That helps. If you set, like, yeah, I remember everyone who I've set on fire for sure. I was on the set of the Nick Cage film, Lord of War, and Jared Leto, for about five minutes, was insisting that we'd met before. And I'm like, no, we really haven't. I think I'd have met. He was like, no, no, we absolutely have. We went out drinking in Cannes together. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, but that clearly wasn't me. <laughs> he was having absolutely none of it. And then he sent me a rat in a box. <laughs> it's a rat in a box. <laughs> Well, I remember everyone. I have not yet reached the point where uh, that information has started to come out of my brain. Still trapped here. Still trapped. But you have. I bet you have. You've yeah. forgotten yeah, someone. You, you've forgotten who you've forgotten. That's the thing. You don't even <laughs> yeah. know who you've forgotten. Yeah. We've got, to, we've got to have to incept you to find out who you've forgotten. <laughs> but anyway, my point was that was Werner Herzog and his movie Family Romance LLC is out right now for you to watch in the comfort of your own homes. We're going to dig into that one in more detail next week, but I will say right now we gave it three stars. We gave that one three stars this week for Ferner Herzog's Family Romance LLC. But it is time for the reviews section. We have the Simon Pegg starring, the aforementioned Simon Pegg starring Lost Transmissions. So, Amon, what did you think of this one? Yeah, so just to set, set it up a little bit, uh, Simon Pegg, he plays record producer Theo, and Juno Temple plays singer-songwriter Hannah. Uh, they sort of uh, meet cute at a party, and it seems like they are destined to create amazing music together. Um, but as they begin to collaborate, it becomes clear that Theo is suffering from paranoid schizophrenia and is becoming increasingly volatile, and Hannah has to sort of uh, try and uh, look after him and make sure he takes his meds. Uh, so, you know, as you mentioned, this is a peg performance. We haven't really seen this kind of dramatic work from him before, but he's really, really good at it. Um, apparently, this uh, his portrayal is based on um, a real life relationship as well, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so naturalistic. Um, and Juno Temple also very good in this. They have really nice chemistry together. I also appreciated that um, Catherine O'Brien, the writer director of this, she um, you know really sort of delves deep into how difficult the American healthcare system is to navigate, mm. um, and they do really good work there. It just didn't really hit me as emotionally as it should, and I don't again. I don't think that's the fault of the performances. I think they are for the most part really really good. It just doesn't really get under. Theo's skin, and he's a very tough character to connect to. Um, it also feels a little bit repetitive at times in that Theo is ill and he escapes Hannah's grasp multiple times and she has to sort of chase after him and try to help him. And that happens sort of over and over again. So this is a film that mm. I admire in many respects, but I admire it more than I like it. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I thought the performances were great, and I think uh, Simon Pegg has rarely been better. I think he's he's he really really goes for it here, and he he deserves a lot of credit. And actually, it would be uh, nice to see him get more parts like this that really kind of stretch him and 
and give him a bit more to do than you know some of the comedy parts and the smaller parts that he's sometimes been given. Um, but uh, but yeah, sometimes the whole kind of dragged a little. It felt like the pacing was off. Um, but I appreciated the the focus first of all on mental health uh, mm. the, the the questions that it sort of poses about the way we treat mental health uh you know the way their friends uh, deal with his his situation the way that the healthcare system as you say deals with his situation the way his family relates um the fact of course that that this kind of condition makes it very difficult to trust that people are acting in your best interest and therefore to go along with what is in your best interest because you kind of lose the ability to tell yourself. So it's, um, I think it, it's really, really layered and it touches on a lot of stuff. It's just that, you know, it's it's a tough watch and, and when a film like this is a tough watch, I think you really have to get the the, the kind of the pacing and, and the, the detail right to kind of keep people as involved as as we want to be, as we want to be invested in in his story and his, his struggle, you know. Um, but you know, I, I, still, I, I think it's a it's a pretty impressive achievement on what I suspect was quite a low budget because I think it looks um, like it cost probably more than it did. Yeah, I think it was a seventeen day shoot, something I mean, like that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, you know, really, really tight, really up against it. Um, yeah, there's not much else to add, really. Uh, we've given this three stars, and mm. uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies that has great performances, and and check it out for that. But I think it might be. You know, and this is not a reason not to watch something, but it might be a, a, an uncomfortable watch for some people. Uh, it's not an easy watch, certainly at the at the best of times. Uh, but uh, it, it's interesting because you know Simon's got this innate charm, I think, which actually does go a long way towards tempering some of uh, Theo's more, uh, rougher edges. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think this would be this would be a real struggle. But you know, Temple's fantastic as well. Um, yeah, she is. Uh, she's really, really, really good. It's got, it's got an interesting rhythm, and uh, some of the visuals are really, really lovely as mm. well. Um, so this is uh, a, a you know, promising stuff, I would say, from Catherine O'Brien. But, uh, but yes, well worth watching for the performances alone, I would say. But three stars for Lost Transmissions, uh, which brings us then to the last film we're going to discuss this week, which is Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton, uh, which is on Disney Plus. Now, I'm not going to do that thing where I pretend I don't know what Hamilton is. I do. Um, uh, I've seen it three times. Same as Helen, right? Mm -hmm. Amon, how many times have you seen it? Uh, oh, no. <laughs> including the screener for this film twice. We're not counting the screener. You've seen it. Then. James Brooke is Hamilton Cherry with <laughs> this. So in case people don't know what this is, Hamilton is uh, a phenomenon mm -hmm. on Broadway. It was uh, written by and starring Lin-Manuel Miranda and tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of uh, of uh, what do they call a place? The United States of America, that's it. Uh, it is an absolute phenomenon, this 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 piece of musical theatre. It's just just tremendous. If you if you can, should theatres still exist, and the government's doing their level best to ensure that it isn't the case, but if theatres still exist once lockdown ends, <laughs> if lockdown ever ends, and you can go back to see Hamilton, whether you're in New York, you're lucky enough to get to see it in Broadway, which I have not been, grr, Helen, uh, <laughs> or in the West End, I think it's the Victoria Palace Theatre, mm -hmm. or one of the many touring productions around the world, take it with both hands. 
because there's not going to be a Hamilton movie for a while. This isn't a Hamilton movie. No. This is a filmed production. This is a filmed version of the stage production in in uh, in Broadway, but with the original cast. So this was filmed in 2016. And uh, as such, it's an interesting, curious experience. Helen, tell us all about it. Yeah, so this is, as you say very much a filmed performance. Literally, they have the announcement telling you to turn off your mobile phones at the beginning of this. You, you re- It is really the, the stage experience. Um, but you it hear was the kind audience of, all the way through as well. Yeah. But it was kind of the... Um, it was it was filmed for posterity, and I think that there was a little bit of. Uh, I don't think Lin Manuel Miranda was sure he wanted to ever release it. Um, he sort of said, "Look, we filmed it. That's in the vault. We've got that. Don't worry about it." But he he sounded really kind of unsure that he ever actually wanted to release this, and 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 maybe that's because he is hoping for a Hamilton film down the line, and he's worried that this will kind of take steam from that. I think if anything, probably the opposite is going to be true, but. This is the original cast. This is the one on the soundtrack album that you know. Um, and they are just phenomenal in these roles. And I, I've seen two different London casts and I thought they were both great. But the, this gang are really the, the kind of be all and end all for me. Um, and I know they're not the original, original cast, the public theatre performance and the read through performance casts, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Um, but it's just such a phenomenal show. You can feel the energy in the room where it happened. You can feel the camaraderie between them. You can feel the sense they have of being in something that is wanted in a lifetime, that it is a, a really special moment that, you know, they're never quite going to recreate anywhere else. And they've all gone on pretty much to bigger, bigger things since, or certainly big things since. I'm not sure anything's bigger. Um, but there is this sense of lightning captured in a bottle here, and I think that's what what makes it special. And and they've tried to, you know, add to the theatre performance in some in some senses. Tommy Kale, who's the director of the show, also directed this uh, filmed version of it. So you know, he moves the camera, he has some overhead shots to kind of show off, showcase some of the, the choreography. Um, he gets in for some close ups and the really emotional bits, which sometimes is more than you need because you're already kind of struggling to cope. <laughs> um, <laughs> So he does kind of try and add as much kind of visual interest to it as possible, but it is going to be a stage performance. And if you don't like that sort of thing, then, you know, be warned accordingly. But if you're willing to watch anything on stage ever, this is not a bad substitute for it. And it will certainly keep us going until the theatres reopen. Because the music's great. It's a it's a hip hop musical, which sounds cringeworthy, but it isn't. Um, it, he uses the rap brilliantly just to to pack in the sheer amount of information because this is a, a story that covers well over 20 years um, that takes in, you know, revolutionary war and governance and murder cases and duels and romances and, you know, infidelity and scandal and more politics and a lot more politics and more duels. It's just, it kind of has everything. It really does. Yeah. yeah. No, I. Absolutely love this. I was turning kind of after it. I, I, at times, I was applauding like I was in the theater because you just yeah. get that energy. There's certain numbers right, after my song, uh, George Washington's song, um, the delivery <laughs> of that. You just, I mean, it's so amazing. Which but one? I, one last time. One last time for sure. Yeah. That's so a, the that's the a ending elder. of that song. Oh my lord. Oh my uh, You can see it. You can see it. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Jackson, who plays that role, you can yeah. see it yeah. in his face, the, the, the effort yeah. that song takes. It's amazing. 
it is truly amazing. But yeah, I found myself because like I'm sure, well, at least two of the other people in this room, um, I have been listening to the Hamilton soundtrack ad nauseum for the past three years or so. Um, so, you know, I found myself in, enjoying it, you know, just on like the, the mu uh, musical level. But I find myself... So the, the the little things that enhance the show, I was noticing those things a lot, not just with the camera movements, like Helen said, which really gave you close-ups in a really good way. Um, like even in that first song when Burr, and this is not a spoiler, it's the first song, Burr says, me, I'm the damn fool that shot him. And we get a close-up of Burr, and we <laughs> get to see Leslie Odin Jr. reacting to saying those lines. When I saw Hamilton, I was quite far, far back. I couldn't sort of make that yeah. out with this you know this is better than the best room in the house is what they've been saying and they're right because you do get shots like that not only for great close-ups but, but to obscure stage work for mm. five seconds then it goes to a wide shot and then we see the stages change it's really really clever that way but even just the little touches like the band adapting very subtly to the performance um, again, I've listened, I've listened to the soundtrack ad nauseum, so I can notice the minute changes between the stage performance and the soundtrack, mm -hmm. whether it's a delay in the music or whether they're speeding it up or slowing it down or whether they're, you know, again, delaying the notes. All of that comes through, and that's great. Even yeah. to the point where I was admiring the spit in uh, <laughs> the um, King George's. Jonathan Groff. Mm. Which is great. Um, mm. All of that is just awesome. And the word, you know, Helen used it, is special. Because there are films which are good, there are films which are great. This is a special, special production. And we're going to be talking about it for a long, long time. And it's interesting that it's coming out in the time that it is coming out, because we have seen Hamilton quotes on, uh, on posters at George Floyd protests for a reason. Um, and I uh, was reading an interview with, I think I may be pronouncing this wrong, so apologies, but Okeret Onadavan. He plays James Madison and Mulligan, Mulligan, Hercules Mulligan, yeah. Hercules Mulligan, and he was talking about uh, being in the room when Mike Pence mm. um, was in the theatre production, and that is a really great interview. I, I definitely encourage you to seek it out. But it's yeah. just interesting, especially obviously this is you know Black Lives Matter is a worldwide movement, but obviously it started in America, and to have this come out at a time when America is going through what it's going through is also adds another layer to it all. It's just, it's just incredible. Yes, to be clear, because if you, if you don't know anything about Hamilton, um, basically all the roles with the exception of King George are played by non-white people. Um, not yeah. all African-American, multiple ethnicities, Lin-Manuel himself obviously is Puerto Rican originally, but, um, but yeah, it, so it, it gives it a different flavor. It's, it's just weird because you, you'll be walking down the, the street and see a, you know, a tall guy with an afro and go, God, he looks like Thomas Jefferson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I read the uh, biography of Hamilton mm. that inspired the Mamel Miranda to, um, to, to, to write, write the this, musical. Yeah. And like, I have I have Lin Miranda and I have, I have Jamel Westman who plays him whenever I saw it a few times on the London stage, who's phenomenal amazing, in the role as well. Amazing, amazing. Uh, and yeah, I have them in my head. So every time you're flipping through and you see a picture of this white dude, <laughs> yeah. you're going, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it's so weird. George Washington was white? What are you talking about? Uh, no, he's Christopher Jackson. There was a really, I, I think... Uh, yeah, there was a really good interview with a, a guy I, re I really sort of enjoyed watching his YouTube videos. His name is Jake Hamilton. And uh, he asked the question, um, if you could ask 
uh, the, the people you play one question about this show, what would it be? And one of the answers was, you know, what do you think? A slave, a slave is playing you. What do you think? Um, which is just <laughs> amazing. Um, yeah. Awkward. Be, it's just, this is exactly, it would be very awkward, but, but yeah, I hope <laughs> in my mind, they, in my mind, they love it. Who, yeah. looks at, who looks at Hamilton and says you don't love it? Come on now. Precisely. Yeah. I mean, listen, we're, 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 I'm, I'm going to get Jimbo's take on this in a second because he, he, he's a he's a Hamilton virgin and he has now had his cherry popped. But, you know, we're going to be talking about this. You, say, you said earlier on, Amon, we're going to be talking about this for a long, long time. And we are going to be talking about this for a long, long time because we are going to do a spoiler special uh, for <laughs> this where... That you know, the three of us Hamilton super fans can can really get into it. I'm going to wear my Hamilton socks. Uh, you know, <laughs> Helen's going to have her Hamilton water bottle. You know, uh, Amon's going to have the soundtrack blasting in the background, which was going to cause Best lots of problems. Believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to owe a lot of money to Lima Miranda at the end of it. Uh, we won't have uh, the man I love to call Linny Manny on the podcast. Sadly, uh, it's going to be just uh, four of us giggling idiots talking about the musical. But it's so phenomenal. There's so much to talk about in it and it's just absolutely incredible you know I, I went into it I've said this in the podcast before so just very very quickly I went into it and uh, you know I, I, I tried not to listen to any of the soundtrack my wife was you know, a big big player of the soundtrack but honestly whenever she was playing the soundtrack I would maybe listen to a couple of songs but I would leave the room I would like no I don't want to do this I do not I do not want to do this I don't want to be comparing what I'm hearing there to what I'm going to be seeing live on stage. And I think that stood me a good stead, but I know your, your mileage may vary on that. Um, but it's very hard sometimes to put into words, which is weird because that's what I do for a living. But <laughs> it's very hard to put into words sometimes how profoundly something can move you when you see it for the first time. And Hamilton is just one of those things where the scales fell from my eyes a little bit. You know, you know, we, we dabble, we go to theater every now and again. But when you see something like this, where it just works in such harmony and mm. everything works, mm -hmm. everything's brilliant. One or two maybe exceptions, but you know, there's there's some. So the songs are incredible. The staging is phenomenal. And seeing this, seeing these performances on this on this uh, this filmed production was great because mm. one of the things it did for me was go, oh my God, it gave me a newfound respect. And this seems, this seems weird for Lin-Manuel Miranda in the title role. Because I think over the years, he has had a tendency to go, look, I'm not the best singer. Mm. I'm not the best singer in the world. Um, you know, I don't even have the best songs in it. The best songs belong to say Burr mm -hmm. or, you know, Wait to Ang Angelica Schuyler, uh, you know, but he's kind of doing himself a little bit of a disservice there. Uh, but I'd only, I'd only heard him on the record and he, his singing voice on the record is fine. But then you go to see the London shows and you're seeing, you know, Jamel Westman and he's, he's incredible. And so that's why I was comparing him to unfairly. But in this, it's not just a singing voice, which feels more natural, uh, you know, in the room where it happens. But it's also his performance as well, yeah. like how good he is in close up and how much he's giving to the other actors as well. Like he's really, really feeling it. You can just, uh, so, he has that energy. He has the energy yeah. of an Alexander Hamilton. I mean, he also writes like he's running out of time and oh, all the rest. God. You know, he's, he's just 
I mean, you and I were starstruck when we had him on the podcast for 15 yeah, minutes. Totally I'd yeah. love to pick that man's brains for a good four or five hours. Uh, we would Someone, Felicity, uh, Kate, who's a, a long-time listener to the podcast, uh, did try to get a Gitlin Manuel on the Empire podcast hashtag trending. I think five people <laughs> retweeted it. So sadly, the sheer overwhelming weight of numbers wasn't quite enough to get him to, uh, to bypass all sorts of PR protocol and uh, just rock up unannounced in the podcast. But hey-ho, you never know one of these days. Anyway, after that brief interlude, it is time <laughs> to hear from the king himself, James Dyer. What do you think a of it? A message from the king. A message, <laughs> a from, message the from, king. from the king. A message from the <laughs> king. <laughs> if, I knew, if I knew the words better, I would try and do this, or the tune better, I'd try and do this in the... <laughs> in the melody of the King's song, but I can't do that. Um, so I have had to listen to Helen bang on about this for what five, six years more. I can't five. even yeah, keep track no, of how five. long you have refused to shut up about this thing. And I have avoided it wholeheartedly. Like I won't listen to the soundtrack before having seen something because that seems ridiculous. Um, and I hadn't no gone to see it in changed. the West End because there's a part of me that feels like that would be a lesser experience than seeing the original cast. But I've been I've been toying with it, and I think as you know, I've been the Hamilton lottery earlier this year and I was thinking no it is time I need to go and see this and I need to experience it so actually when they announced that this was going to drop on Disney Plus this was a massive thing for me I'm like this is brilliant hey I don't need to leave my house but also this is the original Broadway cast this is everything I wanted in one little perfect package that I can rewatch. um and I kind of sat down and as you may know like Les Mis is a thing for me like I've seen Les Mis 12 times I am slightly obsessed with it I think it's amazing it was a life-changing experience for me when I saw that when I was about mm, 21 20 mm. maybe and um I've never had that with another musical like nothing I've seen Miss Saigon I've seen loads of them I've never seen Cats but I mean fucking hell oh Cats is um, dreadful Exactly. Like so, in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I've never had that Les Mis experience, and I was starting to believe Les Mis was a singular phenomenon for me, that I just wasn't a musical theatre person. And I kind of sat down and watched this, and I think, you know, it begins, you know, with the, the what's his name, Alexander Hamilton song. I don't know the name of any <laughs> the of the songs. Name song. <laughs> the what's his name song. <laughs> Very good. And I was like, okay, they, you know, this is fine, this is fine. And then... It builds up speed, and I think I knew it was hip-hop inspired. I don't think I realised, A, how heavily rap-based it was, and B, how naturally that genre lends itself to the subject matter that mm. it seems so seamless. And there are moments in this where it just took my breath away. And like the first half of this was magnificent. I was loving every second of it. I thought Angelica was magnificent. Mm -hmm. I loved her song. I thought the women were all great. Um, but it wasn't until the second act and David Diggs came out and I was like, oh my God, David <laughs> oh, Diggs David is the Diggs. best thing in the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jefferson is just godly. His mannerisms, the way he prances around the stage, when Lin-Manuel sort of mimics him as well. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> and when they have the cabinet the rap battle. Yeah. <laughs> the cabinet rap battle was one of the best things I'd seen. Like, properly, like, all the feels. Like, this is just incredible. And I think this, this lands emotionally for me in a way that Les Mis did as well. Like, you're welling up you're kind of crying you're not really sure why it just it makes you feel everything and it's just glorious and i i just yeah i hats off to him it's an incredible piece of theater i was i think the only thing about it that surprised me was that the final song is quite downbeat do you mm. know what I mean? like it's mm. quite it ends on a low not a high and that's quite unusual i think for for musicals not that i'm a musical expert but you know i, th I think some of the best ones do that i saw this the same year i saw um groundhog day which for me is the second best musical i've ever seen um mm. even mm. even had a low uh, and I 
that one does a similar thing and I think it's incredibly clever if you can do it and still yeah. not lose the audience and I think I think they're doing both of these cases we should by the way make clear David Diggs um, plays two roles as do many of the cast yeah. um, they change between act one and act two so uh, and I would actually genuinely recommend because um, I mostly did this watching it this time just watch David Diggs. Just do that for for you know. You've got it on Disney Plus. You can watch it multiple times. Just just watch him for a a, a, a run through. It is amazing He's the kind of shit he gets so up to. Good, so good. And for, you know, I've just watched him in Snowpiercer, which is you know, so it's like that's slightly weird. And uh, and uh, Rene Goldsberry, who plays Angelica, is uh, Kelquist Falconer in Altered Carbon. So all these people mm. have gone on to bigger and better things, or not necessarily better, but other things since mm. they've broadened out. Maybe not even necessarily bigger. Mm. Yeah, no one's saying Snowpiercer is better than Hamilton, but what. Right. I'm saying is that you know it's it's really funny seeing all these people go oh oh you I know you you're yeah. now really famous. <laughs> What's um, your name, man? Yeah, Alexander Snowpiercer. <laughs> yes, this is magnificent, and I am absolutely going to try and now go and see this on stage uh, because uh, this is this is. Super. I mean, I told you, I literally told I you. I know, I know, I <laughs> hate admitting when you're right. You are. Two very quick things. Uh, one, Groundhog Day did not get the recognition it deserved. No, it didn't. Um, it was an astonishing, astonishing musical. The I, I, I listened to the last soundtrack album over and over again yeah. as well, particularly the last song, which one is, day, yeah, it's incredible. Or so seeing moving. you, sorry, it's the last one. Seeing you, yeah, so and one day is phenomenal one as well. One day is amazing as well. Uh, you know that didn't get the recognition it deserved. It died in its arse uh, on Broadway, and as such, has been consigned to the the re- the reject pile. And it, it frankly needs to be dusted off mm-hmm. and restaged. And there was talk about doing it once again at the old fic, but <laughs> there may not be an old fic. Uh, and uh, once the dust settles on, on what's happening here, so that's one thing. If you can seek out the Groundhog Day soundtrack by Tim Minchin and the uh, the original Broadway cast do so it's yeah. phenomenal second thing is that you know obviously this as we've mentioned many many times this is a film production and uh you know i thought it was fascinating and all the little insights that it gave you you know as amon said earlier on you can see the conductor lead the mm. the band you can see the the band leader in this you know the, for towards the end of that phenomenal song one last time where christopher jackson's really given us some you can literally see the band leader lift his arm out of the uh, the the pit ready to like bring the band to crescendo right now 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 yes now and little things like that or just little asides things that you don't notice even if you're if you're in row h which i you know or which I've been in the past, or up in the gods, which I've been in the past. You don't notice these things. So that's great. The one thing I say I would say is I think it lacks the electricity that you would get if you actually are in the room where it happens. So, you know, and it's not a movie. Do not expect a movie. Uh, mm-hmm. I still, we'll talk about this in the spoiler special. I don't think this could ever work as a movie without some major, major uh, work being done to it. But uh, it is is a phenomenal, incredible uh, profoundly affecting a moving piece of work. And if you can seek it out on Disney Plus, then do so. It would also just get yourself into a theater if and when, if mm. and when, and you will not have any cause to regret that. Five stars, five stars then for Hamilton. And that is a hell of a note on which to end this week, because that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, join us again. Next week, when I think we'd be back to a single installment, <laughs> because as far as I know so far, we're going to be joined by just one guest. But that guest is a doozy because it's James McAvoy. Ooh. And uh, he's not here to talk about any of his film work. He's here instead to talk about his work on the audible uh, audio version of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. 
in which he plays Morpheus. So that's very, very exciting. Uh, we'll be talking to one of the biggest geeks in all of film Christendom, and uh, that's going to be a, a lot of fun. Uh, but until then, oh, and a couple of things as well, a couple of things to, to tell you about. So we've been ramping up some of the specials. Uh, there are non-spoiler specials available to everybody to tie in with our Heroes issue, which is still on sale right now. If you want to rush out and buy the latest issue of Empire, it remains the latest issue of Empire for just six more days by the time you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on a Friday. Uh, and the cover story is the 50 Greatest Movie Heroes of All Time. It's a wonderful, wonderful feature. And we have recorded what was meant to be one podcast, but gradually became a series of podcasts uh, in which we count down the list of 50. So the first two parts of that are up as we, as we speak. You should be able to check those out. They're a lot of fun. And the third and final part will be up early next week, uh, depending on whether I have a nervous breakdown over the weekend or not. Uh, if you are a subscriber to our spoiler specials and you will know that you have had Recently, spoiler specials for the likes of The King of Staten Island with uh, Judd Apatow, uh, our epic Jack Reacher podcast with Christopher McQuarrie. That's three hours long. Uh, and the beginning of our long string of Gangs of London episodes. So uh, an episode in which I discuss episodes one to four of that fantastic show with the directors of those episodes, Gareth Evans, the show's co-creator, and Corin Hardy. That's up right now as well. Episode five, which has legitimate claim on being the best piece of movie making this year even though it's only 58 minutes long uh that will be up next week that's me talking to gareth evans for a full hour about that mind-blowing episode um and we're also going to have our retro spoiler special for john wick that's going to be going up and that's going to be with the director chad stahelski that will be up either over the weekend or sometime early next week uh and if you haven't subscribed to the spoiler specials uh well hopefully i've just given you some good reasons to do so um and there's over a hundred cracking spoiler specials on there as well uh if you want to find out more if you want to subscribe go to glow.fm forward slash empire film or just go to my twitter and check my pinned tweet for details of how to do so right that is it until we meet again until a suspicious occasion until then it is goodbye from the room where it happened to george washington himself amon warman i'm gonna teach you how to say goodbye to say <laughs> goodbye it's like this peace <laughs> oh my god that song I love that song uh, it is goodbye from Jefferson Lives aka James Dyer goodbye <laughs> <laughs> who lives who dies who tells my story there you go yes there we go uh, how does a bastard son of no anyway um, <laughs> and it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara, Helen Forham, fairly well. <laughs> it's quiet uptown. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> oh, we're going to have such fun breaking all kinds of copyright laws in the uh, spoiler special. It's going to be, it's going to be a hell of a thing. And it's goodbye for me. You know, I've been relatively restrained this week about mentioning a certain seismic event in my life, so <laughs> I'm going to continue that. But I'm off, enjoy and bask in the glory of a certain title triumph. And you know what, guys? This one is dedicated especially to Jürgen Norbert Klopp. Thanks very much, boss. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>